This is a Vault Studios production. This podcast contains graphic subject matter and is meant for mature listeners only. Previously on Bardstown. He said in an interview somewhere or something that he didn't feel welcome. And even if he wasn't comfortable searching with us, if that was the mother to your child, someone you're supposed to love, wouldn't you get up your own search and go search to wherever you think she was at? I never understood that. Crystal Rogers disappeared on July 3rd, 2015. It was two years after Bardstown police officer Jason Ellis was killed, 15 months after the murder of Kathy and Samantha Netherland. Ten days after she vanishes, the reward for finding Crystal reaches more than $70,000. And Brooks Hauk, Crystal's boyfriend and father of her youngest son, speaks publicly for the first time with Nancy Grace. I'm 100% completely innocent in this. I want the emphasis to remain on Crystal's safe return. But Brooks Hauk is about to do a lot more talking. You know, I've taken 17 years of my life, and I feel like I've gotten worked hard to get a good education. I've worked hard all these years. I've built a nice life for me and my family, and now my whole family's name is, is trashed for something that's completely not even tied to me. That's where I'm at right now. I'm Shay McAllister. This is Bardstown. We love you. And we're never going to give up. We're going to keep searching and we'll take care of your kids. And she knows we would do that. The FBI joins the search of two lakes, including four agents and a dive team, after search dogs pick up on something. Then Deputy Sheriff Ray Penaroa is hoping for leads. We're searching this body of water because there was an interest with uh, some canines, and uh, we're following up on it. They're actually running sonar, and uh, we'll be uh, out here today and hopefully uh, locate something or get us a lead. Four days after she vanishes, on July 8, 2015, Nelson County Detective John Snow sits down with Crystal's boyfriend, Brooks Hauk. The conversation lasts for about 90 minutes. Brooks tells Detective Snow just what he told Crystal's mom, Sherry Ballard, about his last hours with Crystal. He and Crystal were at his family's farm, feeding the cows. You fed the cows, and then you come back out, and you walked the uh, the road, right? The road that goes to the... Yeah, after we come, after we come back out from walking up through here. Brooks draws a makeshift map for the detective and shows where he says he and Crystal were on Friday, July 3rd, 2015. That's your, the driveway? Yeah, this driveway to the farm. Uh-huh. Right. And then uh, we walk out the road and we just walk back through there. Wearing a blue polo shirt and jeans, Brooks sits casually, arm up on the table. He maintains his composure and appears unfazed by the detective's questions about the last time he saw Crystal on his mom's farm and setting a fire. So, you had a little fire. When was that? After you took your walk or before you took your walk? I know we fed the cows first because I want to do that as quickly while we had still plenty of daylight. I don't know if I lit the fire before we walked back here or right when I got back. I could have done it either one. I don't remember. Mm -hmm. After the fire and with their toddler in tow, Brooks says he and Crystal take a walk. That's, a, to me, and I've got a couple of kids, you know, um, 
but everybody parents a little differently. Uh, to me, it seems a little late to be out on the farm with a two-and-a-half-year-old. Where is he at at midnight? Is he, has he been asleep in the car for a while? Is he still no, no, he's still wide open. And he'll, right. any, any night he's used to, used to sleeping so later in the morning, his normal dad's his seven, eight o'clock in the evening. Really? Because she sleeps much later in the morning. She stays up. So, like, yeah, and it's always been that way. So he's, he's, wide open. he's wide open. Yeah. Okay. Did you go straight home on Friday night, or did y'all stop somewhere? Or because I'm thinking if that's their normal seven eight o'clock in the evening, it might be dinner time. Did you stop and eat something, or did you go straight home? We did not eat anything. I went straight home. Okay. So you went straight home. So uh, let's if we assume that he's correct in about ten minutes after midnight. Another ten minutes to the house or so, so you hear. Yeah, I just I don't see it being that late. I mean, if that's what some of the things say, you know, I guess you'd have to to kind of go by that. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't stop anywhere. We went straight home. Okay. So you could have you could feasibly be home by twelve All right. Fair enough. Yes. But at midnight, Brooks gets a call. It was a pretty short co- phone conversation. Is the only reason I asked. Mm-hmm. Kind of unusual to get a thirteen-second phone conversation at midnight. You know, it is for me. It may not be for you. He doesn't recall who called him. They get home around 12.20 a.m. I went to bed immediately. But their son, Eli, stays up with Crystal. If there's any activity going on in the house, he doesn't, he doesn't want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, what so he's, he's going to stay up with Mom. Right. She's, she's just on her phone uh, playing, I don't know what game, but she normally plays a game. The next morning, Brooks gets up early. I probably I probably woke up around, you know, in between that time, like six or seven o'clock, and then I left. Uh, you know, I got did my normal thing, put you know, changed my clothes, put my clothes on, and and uh, and headed out. You know, shortly after that, mm-hmm. you know. So you get up between six and seven, and where's Eli at when you wake up? He's next to me. He's in the bed with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so you get up. Does he get up with you? He's still uh, he's still asleep so whenever I whenever I get up, but I go to uh, you know the bathroom and all that kind of stuff, and he's still sleeping uh, sleeping there on the bed. But Crystal isn't there when he gets up. Yes, I noticed. I mean, I noticed that she wasn't there. I didn't know what was. I didn't know exactly what to think. I don't know what time I called her. Yes, I called her that morning. Brooks takes his son to the farm, but his lack of concern for Crystal's whereabouts gives the detective pause. And he probes. If I woke up on a Saturday morning and my wife wasn't with me in the bed, as is normal, if she were not, probably the first thing I would do would be to call her to find out where she was. But what you're missing is a lot of times that her and a lot of these girls, they go out and do stuff. This is going to be embarrassing for me to talk to you about, but I'm wanting to get everything cleared up as quickly as I can. They do these uh, fantasy parties. They stay out the better part of the night, well, who gets the kids? I'm good enough to get the kids for all this, and I'm a good enough person to do that, but it really, it bothers me because not only have I been a victim, I can't even, my mind's not even where it should be, and I'm in here answering a bunch of bullshit that I'm doing the best that I can possibly do with, but it's taken a lot of energy and effort away from the other efforts that could be out there trying to help and bring her back here safely. I can't even go out on the side of the road without looking like a murderer or something like that. It's wrong. 
I've been extremely honest with you all. Brooks goes on the defense. So, well, do what you got to do. I'll, I'll do whatever I can, but this is, this is starting to get silly. I don't need an attorney. I haven't asked for an attorney. I don't need none of that. I'm innocent. I'm willing to talk to whoever. But this, this, this to me is really starting to get, it's starting to get silly. So I'm extremely upset. I'm hurt over it. I try to put on a tough shell on the bubble and, and move forward. Uh, it's extremely difficult uh, to get up in the morning and push on and look at Eli and know that here I, I've got a million things going on that I have to get done. And then who's going to suffer? He is. And it's not right. I'm ready to, I'm ready to hire up. Hire an auctioneer to sell all this stuff so I can, so I can be there for him, like Chris. Brooks starts to cry, wiping his eyes. Take a minute, it's all right. No, it's it's fine to be upset. I understand. It's fine to be mad. I understand that too. He's there asking, asking for everybody. This is shock to him. It's okay to be upset by it. I understand. It's okay to be upset at him family. They're, they're yeah, but their their emotions are so shy right now. And I can understand it, and I don't. If that's how they want to be in. That Saturday evening for Fourth of July, Brooks and his son head over to his uncle's house with his mom, Rosemary Hauk, for dinner. But he says no one asks where Crystal is, and they leave the family gathering before the fireworks start. But Crystal's family is concerned and already searching for her. On Sunday, Brooks runs into Crystal's mom. I met her mother at the gas station somewhere. One of them days, mm-hmm. her mother, Sherry, mm-hmm. Crystal's mother, Sherry, came up there to my window and asked me uh, if, if I'd seen Crystal. I had Eli with me then, of course, had him with me all the time. And uh, she wanted to look at Eli. She said, where's Eli? I said, right there. And then she spoke to him, and she looked at him and said hi, and he said hi, and that was it. And when you told her, what, I haven't seen her, don't know where she is, and she just said okay and asked him No, about she, thought that, she thought that the wisest thing for us to do was she said she was going to go to the police station. And then I went home. Meanwhile, Crystal's mom files a missing persons report at the Nelson County Sheriff's Office around 3 p.m. Two hours later, her father, Tommy, gets a call. Crystal's car has been found along the Bluegrass Parkway. Tommy goes and uncovers her keys, phone, and purse inside. Brooks tells Detective Snow that he wasn't concerned until Sunday because she'd, quote, done this before. What do you think happened? I don't, I'm shocked. I do not know. I guess the, the biggest problem that I have is that most women are not going to walk away from their purse and their cell phone in the car. I agree with you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if she were going to walk to go find help or something, she would use, She would take her phone even if it was dead. Uh, she wouldn't, most, my, my wife wouldn't leave her purse anywhere for any reason. Uh, so I can't figure why she would walk away from the car and leave the purse there. When we took the bloodhounds up there, I mean, they had her things that you provided us for scent, mm-hmm. and they said it was as though she was not even there. 
I don't, I can't explain that. I don't understand what that means. I don't know why, if it's her car and she leaves in it sometime Friday night, why does it appear to the dogs that she's not even there? I agree with you. This same set of bloodhounds tracked you all, tracked her in the car from 49, and they had never been to your mom's farm before, tracked you all, her scent, all the way down 49, turned on Balltown Road, and turned on Pasco Ballard as though they were following your car. So I know the dog's not defective. That's right. Because they're following your, her scent, and they don't know where your mom lives. They've never That's been there right. before. So the dog's nose is not defective. So when the dog doesn't even try to find her on the parkway where her car look, ends up, it's just very odd to me. And I can't figure out why they wouldn't find any scent of her at all if she walked one way or another. They would have picked it up. Detective Snow asks, who could have hurt Crystal? Maybe someone Crystal evicted from one of Brooke's rental properties. I mean, as far as I know, she's a well-likable person. Right. Um, I know that she's done a few evictions with some folks, got a few people upset, but... Were they missing evictions? I mean... Like threatening? I mean, there's never a good eviction. Right, but I mean, but it's, it's just normal, normal, normal business. But I can't think of any. Like, she's a likable person. I can't think of anybody who would want to harm her. But then, the interview is interrupted when Brooks gets a call from his older brother, Nick Houck, the Bardstown police officer. Uh, can I get this? Sure, please. Yes. Hello? I, I'm, up, I'm up here, I know that you didn't know, I'm up here in this interview with um, the detective, Detective Snow. I've been up here a good little while. I'm, I'm filling out this uh, this statement here and everything. Do, is it, do, are, you telling me that's, are you telling me that's what I need to do? I know I, I know I don't, I know I, I'm not, I know that, but the way that I look at it is I, I'm innocent, I ain't done nothing wrong, well, you know, I know you've told me innocent people have got jammed up, but if you're telling me to leave, I'll get up and leave, if you want me, if you want me to, I know I'm going through a lot, but I'm trying to get this guy to help me, I don't think, she, I don't think she's ran off with some other guy, I don't, I don't believe that, you can't make me think that, no, yeah, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, so, so do I. I'll do exactly what you're telling me to do right now. You want me to get up and leave? Man, I don't think these guys, I don't think, I don't think these people have got vindictive just to, to skin me for no reason. Man, this is not their family. This is not. All right, thank you. He thinks y'all will fuck is what he thinks. I don't know who he is. Nick, my brother. Did he he just, no, I, I know that, but I, I'm not. He just said just to just to keep sitting up here to give give a statement, do an interview, whatever I gotta do, do it. But he said, "Darn, just to keep just letting them just beat you to death over this right here. Just ask what you gotta ask, and let you know." But news of that phone call eventually gets back to Bardstown Police Chief Rick McCubbin, and goes against everything his oath of ethics stands for in his department. Nick wasn't being questioned, no. But what really got my Irish up was the fact that he called his brother, and. I guess, you know, kind of encouraged him to, you know, to leave, to get out of there. And sure, you, again, let me get, let me use an example. You and your friend could call you and go, and Jessica, you need to shut up and leave. Nothing I can do about it. But your friend's not a cop. Your brother's not a cop. And I told him, I said, 
that that's not how this profession rolls. You don't get to do that. I don't care if you're looking out for your brother or not. You don't get to do that. You know, so that was you know part of it. And I I don't know that. And, and a lot of people I think um, thought Nick knew something, so he was giving his brother the heads up. I listened to the tapes. Um, Nick didn't know a thing. Nick didn't know a damn thing. He just looking out for his brother and told him to leave. Clearly, it was time to talk to Brooke's brother, Nick Houck. But according to Chief McCubbin, Nick is none too eager to help out. Sheriff Ed Mattingly at the time came over to my office, and he, I remember him coming down the hall because, you know, we were in the same building, and, a, and basically a wall and a door divided us. And he, he, I remember him coming through the little short hallway into my office, and he was kind of a reddish-haired guy to begin with, but, man, he looked like a, a, a red granny apple. He was so red, I said... What's up? <laughs> and I knew something was coming. And uh, that's when he told me that, you know, he said, we're trying to get, you know, Nick in here and he's not cooperating. You know, he just went off on me and should have. And I said, well, we'll fix this. We're going to fix this right now. And that's when I gave him the direct order. Get out of my office, walk your ass over there, and you're going to cooperate. I can't do that with you as a civilian. You plead the fifth, you can do whatever. But when you're a police officer, we don't have that luxury. We do not. We took an oath. We don't have that luxury. If the investigators say we'd like to talk to that officer, we're going to talk. Begrudgingly, Nick sits down with two Kentucky State Police detectives. They tell him they know that after Brooks left his police interview, Nick met up with him, and they probe him on the details. I just want to make sure you understand you're not under arrest, okay? I want to make sure that's... that's oh, I know that. Right. Yeah, I know that. So that, that night after you called your brother and told him to leave or told him to, to be careful or, or take care of himself, et cetera, et cetera. Did you all meet up anywhere? Not that I recall. I don't think we did. I... Well, the, you know, you talked about the videos out there at your, mm-hmm. at the house on the corner of Pascal Ballard. Mm-hmm. Um, that video does show you and your brother going out there, arriving at the same time, right behind each other. Mm-hmm. We've got witnesses that said they remember passing both of you out on 49. Mm-hmm. You know, one right, you, he was in front and you were behind him. We didn't make a special trip out there together, if that's what you're getting at. I mean, I mean, that's I mean, just, that's just a... Just a coincidence that y'all showed up at the same time mm-hmm. to go out there. You know, and and then y'all were out there till right at 11.22. You you start out and stop down at the end of the drive, back back up, and then y'all leave out together. What's that name you said? I, I backed up or... Mm-hmm. You, you, you started down the drive and stopped. And then backed back up the hill a little bit. And then, I guess, I don't know if you're waiting for him or what, but y'all left together. I, I don't remember that, but... Okay. Well, I mean... Well, we, know, we know you arrived, you arrived together and mm-hmm. you left together. We know that. Which kind of leads us to, to the issue with the cruiser here. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got we got some issues. Okay. Okay. You're aware that when the cruiser was taken from you that, that it was actually taken to the Kentucky State Police Forensic Central Laboratory. That's what I assume, you know, Chief mm-hmm. In that interview on July 15, 2015, detectives also revealed to Nick they found bodily fluids inside his police cruiser the day after he and Brooks leave the station together and drive to their mom's farm. Have you ever heard of luminol? You ever mm-hmm. been in any mm-hmm. kind of criminal investigation? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, you know what luminol is used for? To find blood. Okay. Or other 
bodily fluids. Bodily okay. fluids. Uh-huh. Okay. So we always excrete bodily fluids, sweat, you know, vomit, anything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, saliva. All that is is what would fluoresce. Why would why would your trunk look like a Smurf if they sprayed it? Why would it fluoresce? The I mean, it would look like Chernobyl. There's a couple spots in your trunk in that blanket. I mean, just lit up like Chernobyl. Why, why, why would that? There, there's not going to be any blood in the trunk. Okay, well, I didn't say blood. I'm talking about other bodily fluids. I don't have you blood. Know, um, shouldn't, there shouldn't be any body, bodily fluids in the trunk. I mean, there, there's only one way bodily fluids can get into a trunk. That's if a body's near that, right? You know, that's what I would assume. Okay. Um, or unless, you know, somebody puked in your trunk or something like that. I don't think right. that happened. Don't think that's the case. So, somebody peed in your trunk or... No. So why, why, why would that be if that blanket, when they looked at it at the lab? I've got no explanation for that. I don't have, I mean, none whatsoever. Nobody has access to that car but you. You drive it. You put the blanket in there. You said that. If there's something on that blanket or in that car, you're the person that has something to do with it, correct? The officer, out of uniform, in a white t-shirt, stays calm, but believes that someone is making up what they found in his trunk. Well, I would assume, but okay. I mean, there, there, shouldn't be, there shouldn't be anything in the trunk of the car. I mean, I don't know if somebody made that up or what the deal is, but I... I mean, we're not the business yeah, making stuff up. Yeah, we okay. don't, you know, that's not, that's not what we do. I'm just telling you, our job is to find out what happened. It's not to... to change the course of events as they happened. It's to find out what happened. Did your brother ever call you and say that he'd done something to Crystal? No, he did not. Because here's the case. Case is, you know, you're a police officer, we're police officers. We all know how this job works. You know, I don't believe in coincidence after having this job. I don't know if you still do or not. Not much. So I don't think that we're dealing with a type of person here that's a bad person. I think we're dealing with with somebody like you that's coming forward and trying to be cooperative. Mm-hmm. But then again, I think you're somebody that would protect your family in, the, in a case like this. And if your family told you something, that you would try to protect them to the best of your abilities, and especially since you're I mean, a police she, officer. Okay? She's, she's got uh, kids. I mean, there, there's no way that I would cover this up for him. Okay, well, I mean, but, you know, we, we all have to take it. We, we all have family. We know how family bonds run. I mean, you know, fam, family's family. You know, mm-hmm. you've got your work family, and you've got your real family. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there, there's there's things that we, the people have done in the name of family that, that have been in, in positions that, you know, you would just kind of scratch your head to think, well, why would they do that? But it was all out of love, you know, you know, for the family. You yeah. and your brothers, you grew up together, you probably rumbled on the, round, on the ground together, knocking each other's heads off. Yeah. I mean, we, I've got a brother, that's what we did growing up. We, we took turns beating the fire out of each other. Yeah. But... At the same point, we're, we're, we're at a point here, like you said, coincidences, we throw them out the window. You know, not knowing exactly what time you sat down and ate dinner yesterday, that's one thing. Not remembering mm-hmm. that you ate dinner at that all. That you ate dinner at all, that's, that's another that's thing. That's a different thing. Yeah. You know, we, we've, and then you add that on top of the biological evidence that's, that's been located in the trunk. That's, we're not, we're not that's what starts me right there. I mean, I just can't, I just can't believe that. Well, we're not, we're not asking you hard questions here as far as, oh, I'm not asking you, did you pull in at 7.22 p.m. on the other night? No. I'm asking you, hey, last week, on Wednesday, a week from today, do you remember going out to the farm? Do you remember arriving with your brother? Do you remember leaving with your brother? What did you do while you were out there? Those are hard questions. And I, and I, don't, I don't remember that. Okay. I mean, I don't. And then, on July 24th, just a few weeks after Crystal's disappearance, investigators turn up the heat on Nick Houck, and he sits down for a polygraph test. 
and then he failed it, right? Yes, he was untrustworthy. There's a word they use, untrust. I don't remember the untruthfulness, perhaps. The FBI breaks the news to Nick that he's not being truthful. What are the questions? Do you know where Crystal is right now? Are you hiding any information about what happened to Crystal? Okay. You didn't tell me the truth on both of those questions. So, I mean, I'm telling the truth. I'm not going to sit here and make up bunch stuff and try to read techniques with you. We're past that. So the cat's out of the bag as far as your guilty knowledge of what happened here. Now, the details of who did what when, can I tell you exactly? No, but I can, I can demonstrably point out through forensic evidence already that things that you told us uh, about where you were at various times are demonstrably not true. We can prove in front of a jury today that you were places that you said you weren't. Nick is dressed in his Bardstown police uniform. His shirt is unbuttoned, exposing a white undershirt. Along the way, he mentions the phone call he made to his brother, Brooks, when he was being questioned by police. He was given a narrative or whatever, a, a statement. Mm-hmm. I said, it's fine to give that. I said, say what you mean, mean what you say. You know, I asked him, I said, are they screwing you around? They asked him the same questions, a bunch of different ways. Because he'd been up there for hours. This wasn't no one or two hours. He may have been up there like three hours or four hours. It'd been a while. And I figured John was screwing him around, and I just wanted to find out what, what was going on there. So that's all that was about. If they want to read more into it, that's up to them, you know? Things start to get heated when Nick is told he hasn't told investigators the truth about Crystal's disappearance. You can deny, deny, deny. That's fine. That's what people do as well. That's what you've, you've done at this point. And it's human nature. You know, when, when people are asked questions about a matter such as this, they immediately circle the wagons and start to, well, out of self-preservation, we all... Man, let me just cut you off. I mean... Do we need to take this any further? I would like to take it to the truth. That's the whole reason we're here. Is a test, though. I mean, man, this. I mean, you're talking crazy. Well, I mean, you're talking crazy. Is that your rehearsed response to what was going to happen today? Because it sure sounds like it. I I don't know what it sounds like. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you what you're talking. You're talking crazy. What's crazy about it? Explain to me. The accusations you're making. Yeah, I'm saying you're not involved in this. Absolutely not. But I'm telling you, I did have. And I'm telling you, you're lying. I mean, I can't make it any... I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but I'm not telling you the truth. That's what I'm doing to you. I'm telling you the truth. Nope. Am I saying that you, you did it or you No, I'm just saying you know more than we did. Whether that's a simple conversation with your brother or whether you were physically involved out there, I can't tell you. Either one of those things would explain what I'm seeing. My hunch is it's something that your brother told you. I don't know anything. He has not spoken with me about this. Well, He's my brother. I you said that. Well, I mean, do you think it would have had anything to do with being a little irritated about how things are going? I mean... Well, that's why you lied? I didn't, I didn't lie. Well, I'm telling you, you did. Okay, I don't know what you're talking about. I know you don't. But I can promise you that I have been 100% honest with you. No, that's, that's what everybody... 100% honest. That's just... just you take retake and stuff. That's what everybody says. I'm 100%. I'm 110% honest. That's not that. Look, there's either the truth or not the truth, right? And that's what I gave you, the truth. Well, but you didn't. I know for certain... purposes here today. I know for certain I had nothing to well, do... And I know nothing about it. I had nothing to do with this, and I don't know anything about it. No, no, no. You know, it's just irritation. I mean, that just kind of worked its way into this. Okay. You know, I've been 100% honest. Talk Listen, you. I don't know nothing about this. Mm-hmm. Nothing at all, and I had nothing to do with it. I don't know anything. Well, if I had something to tell you, I would tell you. She's got kids. Put yourself in my seat for just a second. Okay. okay. And I'm talking to someone who's a family member, essentially, mm-hmm. is missing and possibly dead. And... You're sitting here, and that individual, who you know nothing about, never met before today, right? But you've seen some interviews 
Or you haven't been completely truthful about things. Not just kind of, I haven't been completely truthful about a couple of things. I've been 100% truthful. Listen to what I'm saying. You listen to what I'm saying. I've been 100% truthful. Why are you yelling at me? Well, because you're telling me I'm lying and I know I'm not. I know the truth, you know? And I've been 100% honest. You know the truth. Here's what I'm getting. Well, you just said a Yes, moment. I have. No, you haven't. I most definitely have. And if you don't want to believe it, that's your issue. It's not mine. It's not just me. I showed you. Dude, I don't give a goddamn what your fucking computer said. Okay? I think you do. I'm telling you that I have been 100% honest with you. Is this how you act? When, does this act this way towards Crystal? When somebody... Is, is this how I act toward Crystal? Yeah. I act toward, pe toward people that accuse you, me of lying when I'm not lying. Did she That's accuse how you of lying? No, I didn't know Crystal. Then why are you getting so angry? Because you're calling me a fucking liar. No, That's I'm why. just calling you a liar. Okay? I'm not I don't. I don't like it when people call me a liar. I'm being 100% truthful with you. Listen, they come up with all these lies about, well, there's bodily fluid in your car, there's blood. There is no way in hell there is any blood in that car. Well, and, and I'm glad to say it because everything from what little I've talked to people about Brooks in particular, mm -hmm. about you two, is, uh, there's not a history of violence and that kind of stuff. There's been no domestic accusations, no, nothing no. like that. Which means that whatever happened here was likely, you know, again, I hate to take these word accident, but it was, I say, unintended because people can get pushed and shoved and... Um, I don't know. I haven't even seen her. How big is she? She's not real big, is she? I don't think Brooks would have ever got physical with her. I really didn't see him argue. I mean, I just, I ain't got nothing to give you. He is adamant that he doesn't believe for a second that his younger brother Brooks would have had anything to do with Crystal's disappearance. I wish I could leave you there, but I can't. I don't, I, I've got nothing for you. Okay. I don't know where she's at. I, we didn't have nothing to do with it. I'm telling you, that that's, that's the way it is. I mean... I don't know, you know, if you watch the grand jury testimony or I my interview did. with the state police, I mean, I you know, sometimes I don't speak well. Like, a lot of times when I go to court, I've got, my, I, I've got my report in front of me. I read word for word. I can't, I just don't remember all that stuff. And then you put 12 people in front of me, they start asking you a bunch of silly questions. Yeah, I mean, stuff I just that. blanks out. I mean, I just don't, I don't respond well to that. I mean, I feel, right. I feel 100%, not 96, not 98. Well, I mean, it, there's just no, this is crazy. He would not. He would not have done that. But what you're saying is you believe him. At the end of the day. Well, it's not that I believe him because I haven't questioned him about it. You know, I haven't. That's because I know him well enough. I don't have to ask him that question. Nick's failed polygraph and the phone call to his brother during a police interview aren't the only issues he's facing. The officer, who was hired in 2006 by then Mayor Dixie Hibbs, was written up multiple times over the years. His personnel file lists offenses like insubordination, refusal to report missing teen, trouble multitasking, tunnel vision when on patrol, driving issues, taking a police cruiser to his girlfriend's house while off duty, and sleeping on duty. And finally, in 2015, as the days and weeks go by and there's still no sign of Crystal Rogers, Chief McCubbin decides he's had enough and police finally make their first major announcement. Next time on Bardstown. This is probably not a 50-piece puzzle. It's probably a 1,000, 2,000-piece puzzle. This is the magnitude of a case that we're working. But surely we're still doing piece by piece that eventually that puzzle will work itself. I don't let Brooks out scare me. I mean, if, if I'm going to die tomorrow, I'm going to die. That's just how I look at it. Ask me no questions, I'll tell you no lies. 
A special thanks to the Kentucky Standard. Bardstown is a Vault Studios production. You can find Vault Studios on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and learn about our other shows at vaultstudios.com. Visit our website, bardstownpodcast.com, for more background and information about the cases we cover in the podcast. I'm Shay McAllister. A special thanks to our team, investigative journalist Jessica Knoll, producers Beth Peak and Spencer Brudig. Adam Ostro and Will Johnson are our executive producers. Audio production by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. The devil's close behind.